However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope you enjoyed this past week's episode with Rob Bartlett, uh, a name that um, probably brings back a lot of memories to folks who are fans of Raw back in the 90s. Uh, he was an original member of the very first Monday Night Raw broadcast team. That's right, with Vince McMahon and the Macho Man Randy Savage and Rob Bartlett. And we had a great conversation. Awesome to hear his version of that time in the WWF, a WWE, right? Uh, but he was really in a tough situation, a, a total outsider. Uh, I certainly could identify very much out of his element. And Vince often did that back then, bringing people in from the outside world. Todd Pettengill was one of those people. Uh, you all remember that uh, experiment with Art Donovan, the 1994 King of the Ring tournament. Vince liked to mix it up. I mean, remember Zeus? Zeus came in and did a, you know, after the movie with Hulk. But anyway, Rob lasted with the WWF for about 13 weeks, I think he said. But he said he said he, that he really enjoyed doing it. And who knows, if he would have stuck around, uh, who knows what might have happened. But he uh, went on to have a very successful career, still at it. Uh, did all those years with Imus, and then, of course, has been on Broadway and done TV shows. But it was really, really uh, fun having him on. Uh, joining PTSM this week is a man who both uh, was loved and loathed by wrestlers and fans alike, still to this day, and I don't think he'd have it any other way. He's been at it for an, uh, a long time now, decades, and is undoubtedly the most cited source of the history of professional wrestling with his Wrestling Observer newsletter as we welcome Dave Meltzer. And, uh, you know, Dave, I remember when I was with the WWF and there was this this newsletter that came out every week with you know, the pages front and back in this very, very tiny type. <laughs> and a lot of people uh, at the office, though they wouldn't admit it, couldn't wait for it to come out uh, because not only did it have all the scoop about the WWF, uh, it also had news about all the other big wrestling organizations around the country and the world. I mean, he would cover you know, uh, happenings in Japan and you know, Dave, I always wondered how in the world you got all that information. I, I know you, you talk about, you know, you, know, you had tapes, and then uh, also you had this network of people all over the place who would call you, including wrestlers, um, that would tell you what was happening. But uh, really, 
how, how did you do it? How did you decide uh, what you were going to put in that newsletter every week? Mm, that's a, I, I don't know. I mean, it was just, well, you know, you <laughs> I do, mean, what kind of hour stuff. weeks were you putting in? Oh, geez. Hundreds, hundred plus, wow. well over a hundred. Um, you know, I mean, I didn't sleep much and I wrote and I was on the phone. I mean, I took breaks here and there, but you know, yeah, yeah. A hundred, I would wow. say, you know, that's, that sounds about right. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Oh. Well, um, and uh, I know you mentioned this before, but like I said, I don't know what that audio is going to sound like. Um, so but tell me about your sources, like people that were out there. Were these just people that went to different matches and also wrestlers who would pick up a phone after these matches were over and call you? Yeah, both, both. Um, I mean, fan perspective, I would get from fans and uh, wrestler perspective, I get from wrestlers and promoter perspective, I get from promoters. And bookers. So, you know, you're getting everyone's, you know, I was definitely getting everyone's perspective, you know, and uh, just, uh, yeah, you know, and just business perspective from the people in the business. So it's, um, it was a lot, a lot of, a lot of people, yeah. I was going to say, though, it had to be, I mean, to develop that network. Uh, I mean, how did you do that? I, it, it just uh, amazes me to think, I mean, just how much was going on, plus, like we said, overseas, and you've got, uh, was it just, Time and just consistency? I think in the 80s, in the early to mid-80s, it became like the, the thing that everyone read. So at that point, it wasn't, you know, and so many of these people were subscribing, so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that hard. It, you know, I mean, it's like you'd think that, like, you know, like there's this perception that, and, and a lot of the guys didn't like it, but they still read it. But, you know, the younger guys especially. You know, I say this. The younger guys in the business in the 80s, just like the younger guys now, um, are way more open to it because it's like they grew up with it. Mm -hmm. So it's not a bad thing. The older guys, yeah. I mean, a lot of the older guys in the 80s really hated it, and the younger guys liked it. But in time, the older guys, you know, I know from talking to them, it's like, man, I used to hate you. But <laughs> now that I look back, you know, uh, that was kind of silly. And the other thing was, is as they got older, I was, I'm really interested in history and good with history and it's like i could remember what these guys did when you know i think that when you get to be like 70 or 60 even and you're out of the business they think it's kind of cool that people remember what you do you know did in a fond way as opposed to forgetting so a lot of those guys you know then then they became they kind of turned around in time you know i think most people turned around um it's it's interesting i mean and you know there were definitely people even a lot and, and there again it's mostly previous generation that, that was real negative. And there's some people negative now, but that's also because they've been really, you know, there's, it, it's, some of them have been really, uh, you know, people rile them up on Twitter and there's things like that, that, that get people mad. But even then that usually dissipates in 36 hours. So, I don't know. And, and, and Twitter's just a weird thing. It just like, uh, you know, it, it's just, it changes things, but in the long run, um, you know, when you, you kind of realize it, and, and realize what it what it is and what it isn't. Um, it's nothing that really bothers you. You know, it's just um, it's a wonderful thing and it's and it's an annoying thing at the same time. Well, but when you think back in the day, there and, and you mentioned it here with the generations. Um, you know, we're talking old school, and you had generations of you know families. Sons were coming up, especially in the '80s. We had people like Bret Hart and uh, you know all these guys, Greg Valentine, and they came from wrestling families. And so you can understand the resistance back then because of the kayfabe. Um, well, I, you know, here's, here's a funny story with the, with the Hart family. Yeah. Stu and Helen Hart 
always, always liked me from day one because they, Stu, loved wrestling news, you know? Um, Owen Hart, Ross Hart, you know, Bruce Hart were all friends of mine. Mm -hmm. Brett, which is funny, you know, was not. But, you know, you know, after 1997, you know, I mean, and, you know, we had met a couple of times, but no, he didn't like me. And then after 1997, you know, we, when we got to know each other, you know, we, he completely changed, you know, and, and, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know, if he comes here, you know, very often we'll visit with each other and stuff, yeah. um, you know, and we email each other and things like that from time to time. So it, it kind of changes, but yeah, like, um, yeah, it's just, it's like, a perfect example of wrestling, but Stu, I mean, Stu was always so nice, and, and, you know, Brett used to tell me about how he would get so mad because he didn't like me, and Stu would be sitting at the uh, Sunday uh, breakfast table, and um, they'd be reading The Observer, him and, you know, <laughs> Stu and Ross and everything, and Brett was just like, you know, he was on, that, on, on the road, yeah. and, 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 you know, just, he didn't like that someone he didn't like that they were listening to so, so heavily. Yeah, and why do you think that... Um you know, there was kind of both sides to it because a lot of the wrestlers, you said there were some that would call you and give you information and others that were just, you know, got no way, you can't uh, give it up. Uh, what do you think what the two sides were on there? Because it was a great source of information to know what your competition was doing. Yeah, and you get the gates and everything like that, yeah. which, which everybody everybody wanted to read, how you know, business was in different cities and different, you know, different companies and everything. Um I, I think it's the the ones who read really liked it, and the ones who you know just got caught up in you know exposing the business until they no longer got caught up in it. You know, then they then they were negative. But once once they kind of accepted that the world had changed, then they weren't so negative because there was no reason to be negative, really, if you think about it. I mean, it's like it's like you know baseball. You know, and and, and it's no different from anywhere else. I'm sure that there's like uh, baseball team managers that hate the local newspaper, and there's baseball team managers that love the new local newspaper, and it probably depends on when your team's winning and the team's losing, yeah. you know. So, and that's the same thing with wrestling. When when the team's winning, you know, the the press is usually pretty favorable. When the team's losing, and I'm kind of pointing out, you know, why business is going down, you know, I think a lot of people don't want to read that, you know, as far as like if if, if they themselves were involved. And I was always kind of just, you know trying to figure out where the business is going. That's always been the thing. I mean, it was really impressed upon me very early on by the original people who, like, taught me, who were, you know, and I really learned from promoters more than, I mean, I, I you know, I mean, if I look back in the early 80s, it was the promoters who, who talked to me and tried to explain why they did stuff and everything. I really tried to learn, you know, so I, that's how my whole thing of, like, how business is doing has always been, like, so important. Like, not how it's doing now, but where it's going. Is business going to go up? Is business going to go down? How the world is changing affects business. I mean, that's the stuff that fascinates me. Wins and losses is cool, you know, yeah. and cards are great. But, yeah. but the big picture is, you know, the big picture is, is like what's happening in the world with the business and can more companies survive and, and um, you know, how are profits and things like that. And that's what I've always covered the, the best, really. So how did you get those gate numbers, though? Uh, and, and how did you know they were accurate? Because if you're getting them from somebody who's a promoter, he's going to try and you know, jack them up to make well, you think they're doing better. How did you, how did you get that information? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know, you know, it's like with the, like the WWE and everything. I mean, they would call me every morning and, and give me this, what we did last night. I mean, that's another thing that people had the perception, like they hated me and they may have, but uh. they did call me every morning and give me the gates and the merchandise numbers. And, and, really? you know, I was able to double check with 
because a lot of arena people read the observer and still do, you know, yeah. and, and, and I would just, and I was able to check and, and like I say this for WWE when they were giving me gates personally, they're always to the dime. Yeah. So I can, I can believe that cause I, I checked and, and, and you know, they were so, I mean, and, and funny because they would give me numbers that were different than the numbers and they would say on TV and, and all the time. And I remember the conversation I had with Vince, and I go, you know, this was after a WrestleMania. It was not WrestleMania three, where this conversation took place. It was actually the one in Anaheim, um, where they announced like eighteen thousand eight hundred, and and then Vince, or Vince's people, told me, you know, whatever the number is, was like, you know, sixteen thousand. It's like, what's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. And it just goes, what we say on television is for entertain. You know, the numbers we give on television are for entertainment purposes, and we're going to give you the real numbers. And then later, they became a public company. And once they became a public company, as far as they didn't release show by show, although they did to me for years, but, but you know, they released the actual numbers that are now public numbers. And at that, you know, you're not, you're not giving, although I, I do have to say, the gates are legitimate and the attendance averages they put in their documents are legitimate, but the numbers they say in public are still not always legitimate. <laughs> and anyone who does... Very simple math can figure that out. I mean, it's funny because of WrestleMania, they'll give you the the number, the average for the month, and then the average without WrestleMania for the month. So it takes about 20 seconds of math to to subtract, and you you don't get the exact number, but you get the number within, you know, a few hundred, and their number is usually 10,000 up. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, even their own documents, if you use a little math, you can kind of see where... You know, these things are, although, you know, so it's, it's just kind of funny in a lot of ways. What was their incentive, though, to give you those numbers? I think because I think because WCW did first and they were in a wrestling war and both sides in that period yeah. were both trying to make sure that I, I, I would say I think both sides wanted to be nice because it's the middle of a war and I was influential and. Um, they wanted to, um, you know, not think that they're the ones who are just, uh, you know, being aloof, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's much better to look, it's like any other business. It's, it's, you know, and again, I'm more like a, uh, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, what, what, um, what advantages the movie industry to giving the numbers to, you know, the box office numbers at the movies. It's like, it's just what they do yeah. or, or you know, or the UFC or whatever. It's just, it, it's part of journalism in a lot of ways. WWE in, in a lot of ways is um, years and years and years, decades behind um, when it comes to this stuff, although they are catching up. But, you know, I mean, that's that's basically it. So you met, you mentioned Vince. Um, what has your relationship been like with him? I remember that, and I was trying to think about what year it was, but I remember you came to uh, Hamilton Avenue one time. You were doing a, a tour, a visit, yeah, 91. 91, okay, and you came over to the studio. And I always wondered what that visit was about. Was it Vince trying to make nice, trying to influence you? Was, were you th- thinking of coming on board? I, uh, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. no it was, Never? It was um, no, I mean, Vince and I were talking, um, you know, for a couple of years. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and get mad, and, and then he'd not get mad, and we'd talk, <laughs> and we wouldn't talk. You know, yeah. it was one of those things. Yeah. And then, you know, once he just goes, um, you know, I'd like to invite you to come to uh, Connecticut. And, and as it turned out, I mean, it all worked out because it was, it was SummerSlam weekend. Yeah. And there were friends of mine who got me t- 
tickets to, to SummerSlam, and it was in Madison Square Garden that year. So it was basically, I think, the day before or two days before. So it just, the, the, the timing worked out. So then I went, and then Vince called a lot of other reporters. You know, originally it was just going to be me, and then Vince said, you and Steve Beverly, who was another reporter, and then I actually suggested, well, you probably, because, because the other really good reporter at that time was Wade Keller. So I, I told Vince, I go, you probably should also invite Wade Keller. And he ended up inviting a lot more, as it turned out. Not a lot more. There were probably about a half dozen others. But, but that was, yeah, that was how that trip happened. Huh. Well, and, and you know, that would have made sense because you've got people, I mean, the same way you do with the press. And you had guys that were, you know, very legitimate journalists as far as reporting what they, uh, on the entertainment side of this, this industry. But it was so, it was just kind of amazing that they were the enemy, the way they looked. Yeah, yeah, they they the enemy. But, you know, I mean, it was funny because on that trip, you know, they introduced me around uh, to, to every, you know, all the executives. And we went into everybody's office yeah. and got to talk to people. I met Ed Cohen there, who I'm sure you remember. Yeah, oh yeah. And um, and he was so nice. And then, I mean, I had never met him. I knew the name, obviously. Um, you know, and I saw his office and how everything. And he's the, the arena guy and the business guy. So it's like he's the guy who I'm going to have a lot in common with. Mm-hmm. And actually, very short, very soon after that, we had a really good conversation and, and got along. I never talked to him after that. And then one day, Vince goes, you know what? You know, I want you and Ed Cohen to be, this is funny. I want you and Ed Cohen to be friends, and, and he's going to be your guy. And if you got any questions, uh, you know he'll ask me what the questions were. You know, are mm-hmm. just go to you know call him anytime. He's going to call you and whatever anything you need to know. And so, you know, and people were always like, how did you know you know you know who is the mole? And it's like, I mean, and, and Ed wasn't the only one. I mean, there were a lot of other people. And and but the point is, is that me and Ed Cohen being friends, Vince set that up. Yeah. You know, I mean, that wasn't like Ed Cohen going rogue and oh, I'm yeah. giving you the secret information. It's like. Vince goes, Ed, you're the guy, you deal with Dave. J.J. Dillon, you're the guy, you deal with Dave. You know, and there were other guys like that. This is, the, I, I had that, and it's still to this day. Oh. It's always been like that. That's funny because... Well, not always, oh, not always. There yeah. were periods, there, there have been periods for, you know, a year or two where that isn't the case. But yeah. for the most part, since 87, consistently, that's been the case. That's really interesting, though, because I remember, you know, at least my time there, and I think it lasted... Before I got there and after I, I got there, it was always like, who's the guy? Who's the mo- who's talking right, right, to you? Right, right, you right. Know? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I remember one wrestler. I was at a UFC show, and a wrestler was there who I didn't really know. He's a big name. I don't want to indict him. Yeah. A real big name, like, yeah. like Top. And he just kind of, like, laughed to me, and he just goes, you know, everyone wants to know, you know, where you get your stuff from. And he goes, and I know it's indirectly from Vince. And I go, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's funny. Hey, did they ever try and get you to come on board? To like work with a magazine? I mean, I, mean, I, I would say never a hard sell. I mean, as far as soft sell, a couple times, yeah. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you but were... never like it. It would more be. It would more be. Um, okay, we need help in creative. And they did to me, and they did this actually once with Brian Alvarez, who's my my partner. Right. Um, they came to. They came through me for Brian once too, um, but it was. It would be. Um, if you call and you ask for this and this and this and this, you could work here. And it's like, uh, I don't want to work there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, that wasn't ever a goal. I wanted to be a reporter. I didn't want to be in the business. So it, it like literally there was never any serious talk, but over the years at different times, 
there were feelers sent to me, yes, for yeah, so, sure. But you were never tempted? You, just, you always liked the idea? Of no, no, I was never, I could say I was never tempted for a second. It was never, I think that if I was like broke, um, <laughs> and I, you know, you know what I mean? That, yeah. But, but I was always doing well enough to where it was never a temptation because it was never a goal. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, you know, you can make more money here. It's like, I'm, I'm doing fine. And the one thing is, if I go there, I'll probably end up getting fired. I mean, I never even thought of it that deep. It was always like, <laughs> I'm a reporter. And that's, that's it. I'll always be a reporter. I don't think that's ever going to change. So work, you know, it's just not like working in the company. is just not going to, uh, it's not what I ever wanted out of it. I never wanted to be that part of the business. I wanted to be the part of the business that I am. And I've always been, you know, happy with it. And it's, you know, and now it would be you know, impossible for a million reasons, but you know, no. So, I mean, like, you know, like, yeah, there's been, been stuff, but if you said, have they ever made you a serious offer? The answer would be no. Yeah. Have they ever asked you to ask? Yeah. Then the answer would be yes. Yeah. So uh, a big part of, of, uh, the newsletter and, and was e- even huge back then is the, the star system. And, uh, people yeah. say originally that was uh, Jim Cornette who kind of came up with that right. idea. But right. uh, how did that really all come together, and, and uh, what started you doing it with the matches? Okay, so when I started doing the newsletter, there was a guy, there was another newsletter called Weasel's World of Wrestling by a guy named Norm Dooley, who I actually copied him. I mean, I, I copied Mike Tanay in the 70s. In the 80s, I copied Weasel's World of Wrestling, Norm Dooley, because he was so funny, and I was like, man, I would love to be able to be as funny as him, which I never was. <laughs> But that was like kind of like the goal. That's why if you ever read the old observers, there's a lot of wisecracks in there. Yeah. And now the, the, there's humor. I do real inside humor for a few people who will get it. But it's, it's, and I, I don't do a lot of humor now. But, um, but then um, I did a lot of humor. And Weasel, one of the things the Weasel's World newsletter did was star ratings for matches. So I didn't, nor, and Norm Dooley was, was best friends with Jim Cornette. Mm-hmm. But I, so I actually didn't know until years and years later it was Jim Cornette who came up with the idea. But it was in the Norm Dooley newsletters. This is how he rated matches, and I just copied the system. Um, it was never mine. It was never a, like a, a, a cut-and-dried system because Norm Dooley, um, you know, and, and Norm Dooley was I, – I, I wish everybody could see those, those issues because other than Cornette, I don't know if anyone alive still has them, but they were some of the most funny and incisive uh, writing on wrestling as far as like the late 70s and early 80s that there was. So what, what is the system? How does it work? When, you, when you're looking at a match. Oh, I mean, okay, so, so, so Dud is a totally worthless match. Negative stars is like an offensively bad match. <laughs> one, star, one star is kind of like, it's there. Um, you know, it's not good. It's not good. Two stars is fine. You know, two stars is a normal match. Yeah. Three stars is a good match. Four stars is a great match. And, and five is like, okay, this one's you, anything really over four and a half. In the old days, I would say four and a half and up, up it's like, let's consider this one for match of the year. Now, because... The talent is is so into having great matches. It's it's the mentality so different. That's how they get noticed is having great matches. Now, like you really have to be like five stars to get to um, match of the year qualities. And then there's been a few matches I've rated above five stars because Norm Dooley's highest ever was a six and a half, I think, or six. Yeah, six and a half, um, or six and a quarter, something like that. So I never really, I didn't go above five until. Norm Dooley went above five in, in early in the early eighties. I didn't go above five for any match until uh uh God, I'm thinking eighty nine Flair Steamboat. Mm-hmm. Um the the one in Landover, Maryland. Yeah, that was worth it. <laughs> and then um 
and then a couple of Misawa Kawada, and, and, and um, I think there may have been a Japanese women's match that I went above five for. And then a couple of years ago, with um, I hadn't done it for, for like you know, 15 years. Or, no, yeah, maybe 15 years. Um, and then I did it for Omega and Okada Tokyo Dome, and people short-circuited, which at the time I watched it, and when that match is over, it's like, okay, this is one of the three best matches I've ever seen in my life. So it's not a five-star match. It's a six-star match. And then they improved on that in their in their subsequent matches, so that made it even harder. I, I mean, it was like such a joke because it got to where my friends would come over and we would watch Omega Okada, uh, every Omega Okada match after the first one, and when it's over, it was always the same thing. It's like, what are you going to rate it? And I feel sorry for you because people are going to lose their minds. because And they, they all knew that it was like these were the best matches they'd ever seen. And they just go, like, people are going to, you know, it's like, I feel sorry. It's like when Kenny Omega and Okada have these matches, it's like we watch it and it's the greatest matches that we've seen, and then we laugh for a week because everyone goes after Dave for saying that. So that's kind of, um, you know, that's kind of what happened, I guess. But is there criteria? I mean, do you do you have things like you know execution? Uh, you know, it's all there. It's, staging, it's, you know, it, or do you just look at entertainment? Um, definitely looking at entertainment, crowd reaction, um, execution. Um, I'm really into storytelling, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's, which is funny because everyone thinks I'm into moves, but I'm not adverse to moves either. There are some people who just like hate moves, and it's like, look. If moves get the people going crazy and they're doing a moves match, um, then I and, and I like it, then that's good too. I don't I like like you know again I think a lot of people be, I think and this has to probably do with my being a big fan of lucha libre, mm-hmm. which is a completely different style. Yeah. And I love great lucha libre, just like I love great American style and Japanese style. But um, so so if I see something that's like a, a essentially a great lucha libre match. A lot of people go, ah, there's no psychology, there's no reason they're doing all this stuff. And sometimes I think that too, but, and, 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 that, and if I do think that, then I'm not necessarily going to rate it that high anyway. But if it's like building the crowd and taking the crowd, the little thing is taking the crowd on a ride, yeah. you know, through your, through your match. Some people, there are some people who take a crowd for a ride just on the fact that they have such incredible charisma, and that's not the same thing. Like, like Hulk Hogan, just an example, who is one of the greatest no, most charismatic guys I've ever seen in life. Um, but when he would do matches, it was basically formula. He would yeah. do, you know, yeah. and it worked. And I, you know, I wouldn't knock it. You know, if it was badly executed, I might. But, but, but the whole thing was, is to me, those aren't classic matches. There's, it's, that's just straight formula. Yeah. You know, you're 10 minutes, you do this, you do this. And it's not bad, but I wouldn't say, leg. like, this is the greatest match I've ever seen. Yeah. But, um, you know, sometimes those matches get incredible, incredible reactions because of the charisma of the person. I'm more into the matches getting great reaction based on what they do in the ring, like taking guys who are um, average charisma guys, or not even better than average, but the match starts, people are kind of into it, and taking them to where at the end they're going crazy, as opposed to they're going crazy from the start because this guy comes in and tears his T-shirt off, and he knows how to keep the crowd. And, you know, I mean, Hogan's a master, and I'll never deny that, but I don't think like Hulk Hogan matches are, are classic wrestling matches. I don't even think he thinks that. And, and other wrestlers never did either, you know, back in the day, because it was always like, you know, people would always compare Hulk Hogan and Flair. And, and I think everyone kind of knows the difference between the two of them. They're both, they're both great at what they did. Hogan was the bigger, more charismatic star. Flair was the, the great worker who had the great matches. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, and they both go down, and they'll both go down in history. And I think, that they're, I think that they're both 
very satisfied with that thing. I mean, you know, Hogan will tell you, if you ask him, that Flair was way better than him, and Flair will tell you that Hogan was a much bigger job than him. It's just, and, and, and they're both great. For the, they're both great for the business. Mutual respect society. That's uh, definitely true with them. Um, you know, Dave, did you, uh, along the way, I mean, you really have, and I mentioned at the, at the top of uh, the podcast here, that uh, you really be, have become the historian of professional wrestling. I mean, uh, Conrad and, and Bruce's job would be a lot harder uh, with their podcast if they didn't have the newsletter to refer to. But did, was that uh, something you ever planned on, on, you know, basically being the historian for professional wrestling, or did it just happen along the way? I think it happened along the way, but I did. Um, so Paul Bosch brought me to Cauliflower Alley Club in the 80s. And this would have been very early um, when I was doing the newsletter. And he introduced me to all of the wrestlers. And these are guys, every one of these guys from, you know, Buddy Rogers and, and, and uh, Clara Mortensen, who's probably a name no one's ever heard of, who was actually the World Women's Champion before Mildred Burke, who's another name that probably people haven't heard of. It was actually one of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would introduce me to these people, tell me who they were. And I think because Paul was an older guy at the time, you know, he, he always impressed, you know, like to, to learn, you know, to know this business, you have to know the history of the business. And I've also been very lucky that, that the best historians in this business are guys who ended up being my friends like Steve Yohe and, and people like that. Um, so I always had like go-to guys who just, these guys would go to the library and go through the old newspapers in the tens and the twenties and the thirties because wrestling was covered really big in those days. Yeah. You know, people don't know that. Like, I think, you know, oh, my God, you know, like, um, you know, the, 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 the stories and, and whatever. It's like, you know, these sports sections, when, when Jim Londos or Strangler Lewis came to town, I mean, this, these guys were, um, you know, the, top, the cream, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say LeBron, but like someone said, like, um, what, was the, what was the comparison? They said, there was nobody like then that would be equivalent to Michael Jordan, but we did have um, uh, Charles Barkley's. Like, Stranger Lewis would be Charles Barkley in the, in the sports scene in the 20s. Like, in the sense that he's a major, major, major figure. He was not the major figure like Jack Dempsey or Babe Ruth. Right. Although he was talked about in their category, but they were way ahead of him. So those guys, um, they, yeah, those, those guys really influenced me and would say, you know, they send me stuff and, and I always wanted to read it because I always want to know the history and history is really weird in wrestling because you know you read 10 versions of history and they're 10 completely different stories so you kind of have to everyone's got their own interpretation of them so yeah wrestling history is tough because you know unlike baseball and football and everything where it's really written down um, wrestling yes it's written down in the 20s and 30s because of the newspaper stories but at the same time um, you know uh, you know, the newspapers didn't necessarily very often go behind the scenes and wrestling so much about behind the scenes. So the behind the scenes wrestling stuff is very much open to interpretation of what was going on. I would say probably, you know, through, I would say the Mm eighties, you know, because the people, you know, I mean, it just wasn't written down what happened. So you're relying on memories. And I've known even, you know, even from your own memory, you know, it's like, yeah, you remember things pretty close, but then you read back. Like, I'll read back at, at something and go, oh, yeah, I did forget that detail, which is actually sort of significant. Yeah. Well, and it is. It's amazing, though. You can go back uh, decades now, and it's hard to think that it's just been so many years now. But really, yeah. you can find out what happened in, in great detail pretty much any night at any event that has taken place. And uh, Yeah. 
and it's it has happened. I guess it's it's funny you say it happened along the way, but uh, that's what that's what's happened, and it's pretty amazing because everybody refers to it now. Yeah, yeah, and it's great for research. Of course, people with their agendas, <laughs> you know, try to change history. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, and then there are usually people who ended up failing in the business. You know, you know, try to blame other people, but you know that happens too. So, well, do you do you enjoy the? Uh, I guess back and forth. I mean, with with Eric uh, Bischoff and and Bruce and um... Bruce. Okay, so so Bruce, you know, it's, it's the funny thing. It's like I haven't really talked to Bruce in a while. But I, I do, I, and I, I don't listen to the show regularly, but when he was doing the stuff on the, um, on the WWE Network and a couple of shows, like people go, well, this one you need to listen to. I listen to him, and I find Bruce really entertaining. So yeah. I, I don't have any, like, animosity, but Bruce is, you know, Bruce is Bruce. He's going to defend Vince. He got his job back with Vince. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's, what, that's the tact he took. Was it, you know, it, it ended up, I think it ended up being shtick very quickly. So it's just like the shtick, ah, you know, you know, uh, plans change or whatever, which God, everyone knows plans change in this business. Mm-hmm. On a, anyone who ever worked in WWE on Monday, on a Monday can tell you how plans change regularly up until that show starts. But, um, but yeah, with Bruce, it's like, I, I, you know, and I can, I've known Bruce since he was, uh, you know, in his early, early twenties yeah. and, um, yeah. we, you know, and so, and I talked to him when he was in WWE and things like that. So I don't really like, I don't think I don't know Bruce. I think is doing it all in fun. Um, people will talk about Shivani, and I know Shivani's is it's just stick, and he's openly admitted it. And I, you know, I like Tony Shivani. Bruce, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm entertained by Bruce. You know, sometimes it bothers me, but you know, most of the time, and, and it really doesn't. I'll just say, like, look, Bruce's own co-host will tell you that they're doing an entertainment podcast yeah, and his co-host. Exactly. You know, and I, you know, we'll, we'll we'll talk about. You know, he has nothing negative to say about me. Um, on a personal level, for sure, and so I don't really have a problem. Eric, Eric's, a, you know, Eric's a different, a different piece of work. Um, just a bitter guy, and um, you know, he, he, he was very, you know, and I'll always give Eric credit for certain things. Um, you know, Eric did usher in the modern era of television with Nitro, and the Monday Night Wars were an amazing time, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. They also went down, which you know, and. and it was nobody's singular fault they went down. It was a group thought. But the thing with Eric was is that, is that there was a book written that, you know, Eric and Kevin Nash and Hogan and um, Vince Russo were kind of like the villains in the book. And I didn't write the book, but as far as factual accuracy, it's, it's Brian Alvarez wrote it, who's like one of my best friends, and he's my partner. And the book relies on factual numbers all the way through. This is what happened. This is how the gates dropped and all this. And that's like the basics of the book. It's an excellent book, okay? And Eric legitimately thought I wrote the book, and I didn't write the book. And I remember when, you know, he, you know, he didn't find out I didn't write the book until like a year ago, and it hated me for like 15 straight years with a passion because he thought this book, he thought this book, which he never read, by the way, he's only on, he just knew he was on the cover of. So that was his, you know, agenda for hating me. And no, he's. He's not a good. He's not a good human being in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, you can see the difference. You know, if if um, you know, I mean, you can you, you know, if you ever see the stuff Bruce will say, you know, I mean, Bruce is all. It's all in fun. You know, whereas with Eric, it's. I don't think it's in fun, but um, you know, that's his cross to bear. It's yeah. not mine because I don't. I don't really. You know, I don't really worry about him because he's. You know, 
you know, history is history is history. And like I said, Eric's a fantastic television performer. When um, they made Daniel Bryan GM of Raw, I mean, or SmackDown, I should say, a couple years ago, I told people, I go, I hope Eric gets that job because of all those guys, Eric is so good on television. And some people, he's too old now. It's like, ah, Eric will be, Eric will be great. They picked Daniel Bryan, which actually, because of who Daniel Bryan was, was the better choice at the time. I don't even know that Eric was ever under consideration. It was just like, who would you put? They're going to announce general managers of both brands, and I just thought. And Eric's just sitting at home, and, and he's a great TV performer. So, I mean, I'll have, you know, again, there's a lot of good stuff I could say about him, and I will, you know, as far as his role in history. But, you know, it's, it's, he, I got very different opinions of him overall. Yeah. But, but I really, I think that you mentioned Bruce, you, you know, and Eric and Tony. I mean, they're just, they're all great entertainers as far as I, I see it. And, and, uh, and oh, I, you know, I it's like, like I, and Eric, I, too, I, like, I think I like, that. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I I like Tony, and I was really happy to see him come back on MLW, and he does a good job there. And um, you know, he's a voice of a lot of people's childhoods, and he's good. You know, I mean, he had a bad run at the end of WCW, but everyone did. Everyone associated with that product. You know, you're trying to show for a product that's just going down the tubes, yeah. and every announcer there took you know like credibility lumps. So if you're an announcer and the company is just terrible, um, you're become a you become a bad announcer. If you're an announcer when the company's on fire, um, you can be, and, and you're good. You'll be a good announcer. You know, you can still be a bad announcer for a good company, but, um, but if you're a good announcer with a really bad company, you, because you're trying to sell angles that make no sense, yeah. it's, 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 it reflects badly. You know, and it's just unfortunate. It's just unfortunate, really. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, uh, I think that we're blessed that we have these guys out there now doing these things because they really have revitalized a lot of the business, you know, people being interested in what happened in the 80s and the 90s. And uh, I think it's just great to see. Um, I, I, but looking ahead, and you mentioned AEW earlier on, what are you, what are you seeing uh, ahead for the business? Do you like what you're seeing? Is it, uh, is it in flux, I think, as you said, uh, that you, it's a wait and see? I mean, it's it's got to be a wait and see, and I mean it's really like so far for the so far they've had a few at bats. I would say you know they did the All In show, which was not AEW, but it was the guys who were doing AEW. Right. That show was a home run. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They did um, they did the um, um, on on you know the uh, the, the announced some some of their announcements and things like that that mm. got a lot of interest. Then they put tickets on sale for the Vegas show. Yeah. That was beyond a home run. That was something that like I mean. Except for WWE, there's never been a demand for tickets in this country for a show like the All In Two that's in Vegas. I mean, the number of people who were turned away on the first 30 minutes of ticket sales, it was 30,000 people that yeah. were um, over 30,000. Yeah, you know, just well, right at 30,000 probably. Yeah. But um, no, it was actually over. Okay, they, so anyway, they needed a bigger venue. <laughs> yeah, they needed a bigger venue. Yeah. But the point is, is that's another. So that's that's a home run. But yeah. they haven't run the show. And they're going to live or die. The history of that the company is going to be written on television. We don't, you know, how are you going to do whatever the TV is on whatever this, do they get a station, be a station that pays? Everything, you know, based on what is going on, everything feels good, okay? But you still never know, like, as far as, like, where they're going to get TV and what kind of exposure and things like that. It feels like it's going to be good and it's going to be good, you know, good for the industry, but in, in the end, it's up to the fans. I know that they have a very fervent fan base of a certain number of people that you know will will go to these shows and will fly across the country for these shows. Mm -hmm. um, 
they don't have millions and millions and millions of fans like WWE, nor do they have to, but they do have to get um, whatever the number is, you know, whether it's a million, and I don't know, you know, it depends on the station you're on. You basically have to get whatever are competitive numbers for the station that you're on. You need to get that number, you know, whether it's 500,000 or 300,000 or a million five or a million two or whatever, but depending on what station and what time slot. You have to be able to get that and keep that, that kind of a number, and we don't know. You know, we don't know if that many people are going to watch more wrestling um, in, t- in t- the end of 2019, early 2020. Um, so, again, like, you know, they can go in on, on this May 25th show and, and, and have, you know, it's already sold out. They're going to, if they go out there and have incredible matches, everyone goes, this is an incredible show, like the first all-in. I mean, that's great, and it's wonderful. But in the end, if they had drawn 4,000 fans and the show was good but not great, in the long run, that doesn't make a difference. The, the real difference, it's, it's a momentum difference, but the real thing, the game really starts when they start on television. If they get, uh, they are do well enough to where they can get paid for television rights, because that's the name of the game in every sport, is what you get paid for television rights. Mm-hmm. So it's up to them to be able to draw enough viewers on a weekly basis to where uh, you know, television stations want their show and are willing to pay good money for their show, and that funds the company, and then they'll be around as long as those TV deals are around, just like with Vince. Vince is not about selling tickets to house shows. He's not about pay-per-views. He's not even about the network, although the network's important. Mm-hmm. He's about selling these television rights, and that's why WWE as a business is so incredibly, incredibly successful and will be for the next six years, no matter what they do, as long as these deals are in place, whether the product itself is good or bad. you know. And then a lot of people don't like the product, and there's Look, I watch on some Mondays and I don't like it. I watch on some Tuesdays and I like it. I, watch, I love some pay-per-views. I hate some pay-per-views and I'm in the middle on some. But in the end, it's not about, you know, like, like last night's show didn't sell out. Oh, my God, WWE's doing terrible. No, they're not. They're, you know, if they, if they're about TV rights. And the TV rights are guaranteed money. And they're guaranteed until 2024, the end of 2024 so. There's nothing to worry about business-wise with WWE when they're getting $470 million a year from U.S. TV, and God knows how much they're going to be getting outside the U.S. between India and U.K. and Philippines and Canada and Mexico and all these other countries in the world. But why, why do you think, though, and you've seen this company for as long as it's been in existence, uh, why do you think they're, they're struggling creatively now? And that, and that is they are. from everybody. And why, why do you think, is it cyclical or is it something, you know, we've seen it go up and down, uh, they don't have any competition or is it just bad creative? I think it's too much television that they're trying to fill. It's the chicken and the egg. They are in a position where they're making so much money, but by producing so much product and making it so hard to keep up, they're burning the audience out. That's why the ratings are going down mm. because they, but but financially, they have to produce this much product. So they're producing too much product. It's, it's actually something that's, if you study the history of television, it's consistent with, you know, with, with, and this is like whether it's game shows or talk shows or sitcoms or whatever, what happens is something gets hot. And then when it gets hot, everybody copies, and then you flood the market with it. And once you flood the market, people burn out with it, and then you've got to come up with a new concept yeah. to, to, to save things. And that's what this is, 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 Wrestling right now on cable is strong just because it's so hard to get lots of viewers to cable shows. And wrestling, because of its history being sort of a sport, has a very consistent audience. But then they've done, there's so much product that you burn people out. So, so you're, you're having that effect 
But even with burning people out, the number you're at right now is still a very good number based on what everybody else in cable is drawing. If you keep going down 20% a year, that's a scary thing. Yeah. And, and um, so, so there, is, there is that aspect of it, but they're making so much money, and, 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 and they're becoming fixtures in culture at a way they've never been before. Um, so it's like I almost think that like, they're, good, they're good as gold for, you know, nothing's forever, but for a long, long, long time. So I don't really worry about it, but I do think that like the the amount of and, and some of the TV decline also is people watching another means, but but you still have the attendance decline, you know. I mean, and that that's just you know that and that's a better barometer. That's Vince's barometer in a lot of ways is when he looks at the attendance, and and that you know that's a real decline, but it's not that's not as big a decline. It's more of a very slow decline, but still, do you want slow declines every year? Yeah. Mm, you know, I mean. You you were you you know you remember when there was the, when WWE house shows did twelve thousand people on average and now it's four thousand. Yeah. It's a big difference over time, but it's also over twenty years. Yeah, and, and uh, I don't want to call them a threat, but do you think that AEW can have an impact on the WWE at least with challenging them to be have a better product and also giving these boys the boys uh, and and women I should say more options. It's going to help the pay scale for everyone because there's competition for the talent. So that's very good, um, as long as they're viable. And um, let me see. As far as creatively, if AEW comes up with a concept that's good, WWE will probably try to follow along with it. You've already seen more of an emphasis on on men's tag teams already because they know that AEW is going to focus heavily on men's tag teams. Um, you've already seen an emphasis on longer, better matches because they know AEW is going to be about better matches. So in a sense, I feel that they're trying to beat AEW to the punch because AEW has no TV with what they presume AEW will have as strengths and have those strengths by whenever they start TV to where AEW doesn't corner the market on tag teams or great matches on television every week. Yeah. So I, I, yes, we've already seen, we've already seen, um, we've already seen changes because yeah. of it. Well, and, and yeah, that's that's what it is. And it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. I'm I'm really excited about uh, seeing what's happening. Uh, Dave, before I let you go, um, can you give me your three all-time matches? And and I don't know if it necessarily has to do with having the most stars, but just for yourself personally, are there three that that uh, you can give me that really stand out? Well, Omega and Okada from uh, the June uh, Dominion show was the best match I've ever seen. Oh, um, really. Yeah, oh, without a doubt. Yeah. That, that's in, that was in a class above any match I've ever seen. Um, the Omega-Okada match the year before at Dominion would probably be my second best. And then as far as third, there's, there's really a lot of different ones. Um, you know, I, I couldn't really go with a straight third, but most of the ones I would say would still be matches I've seen in the last five years. Or I mean, yeah. really, the last two or three years. Yeah, because, because you've got so many of these young guys that... Um, they're so, you know, they're so into having these great matches. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's a stylistic thing. But, yeah, I mean, I've seen wonderful, wonderful matches, you know, every year since the beginning of time. But I would say in the last three years, especially mm-hmm. 2018, um, as far as numbers of great matches, I think someone actually did a table. And in the early 90s, there was a lot, like early, early 90s, there was a lot, a lot of great matches all over the world. Yeah. And, and then it kind of went down. 
you know, like that early 90s period, and especially like in Japan and everything. And guys got hurt and guys got older and just the business moved, changed in certain ways. And then like from 2016, it really started coming back to what I, you know, like near record levels. And last year was really the record level. I mean, when you talk about the kind of matches they were having in Europe and in, in, in the United States, especially on the indie scene, um, and, um, you know, obviously Japan, um, it's, it's, you can't even put this way. There were matches that I would have died to see that I can't even keep up with. And everyone says that to me. It's like, we can't even keep up with the four and a half star matches. There's so many of them. And it's like, you know, it's, and it's not being easier because if I watch old matches that I thought were great, I'll go, I would go like, you know, this, they're, they're still great, yeah. but my God, have we evolved and, and it, it almost makes you go like this, this talent that we have now, as far as producing matches and, and athletically, and then the thought process going into the matches, because you know, before guys, you look, you're working 300 nights a, a year. Yeah. So you're, you're just trying to have good matches every night and things like that. But when you're working a lot less dates and you can focus, I've got this one match and I'm, this, this one match is it and I'm only wrestling one match in, in, a, in a week, you're going to have a better match because you're so focused on it. And that's what I think a lot of people, oh, you're, you know, why is it you know, like this? And it's like because, number one, everyone's learned from the past and everyone's got access because before... Like, to study, you'd have to go and get a videotapes. Now it's like you push a button on your computer and you can watch any great match. And it's like, I want to, and, and if you're a, a thinking wrestler, you can learn from that match. Even if it's like, well, I didn't like it, but there's always something to learn. And the more you learn and the less you wrestle and you can focus on individual matches, the better your matches are going to be. And that's, that's the environment of today's wrestling. And some people, like, I don't think that they really get that. It's like it's natural evolution. It's not... It's not, um, it's not a, a, a knock on the past. Some people like take this as some knock on the past, and it's, it's not. It's just natural evolution is going to bring this. And it's, it's you know, again, I don't know if this year is going to be like last year, and I don't think it will. But, but um, 10 years from now, it's going to be the same thing. These guys are going to be doing athletic stuff that we can't even conceive of, and they're going to be telling stories, which a lot of people like, oh, they don't tell stories. And it's like, yeah, they do. They do. It's different stories, you know, and, and because it's different fans. But, yeah, they're going to – these guys, the guys that are starting out now, that are watching these guys now, they're going to be way better than the guys now. That's just, that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Does it concern you, though, some of these matches we see that just it's spots and these guys, you know, couple, jumping off, you know, one story, I mean, uh, you know, doing flips? Oh, I, and, I, 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 you know, the, the, the bad side of what I just yeah, said is right. I just watched a match last night that was a phenomenal match with Kota Bushi and Tetsuya Naito. And I was just so concerned with the the the, they, the, the damage these guys are doing to yeah. their necks. Yeah. You know, I really worry about head, head and Yeah, no, no. The, the, that's absolutely part of that thing that, that that mentality is is what you can do great athletic stuff that's safe uh-huh. um, or minimal risk. I mean, there's always risk, but some stuff to me, there's some moves where you're you know you're taking really bad falls right on your neck. Yeah. I I get scared about that because you know look at how many guys have had neck surgeries and things like that. And you do want to have long careers. So yes, I'm absolutely concerned about, um, you know, the, the, the guys who take it too far. And then like the spots, you know, that depends on the audience. You know, if you're doing spot, 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 and, and it's not registering with the audience, then you're doing it wrong. If it is, then you're doing it, then you're doing it right. And it's what the audience wants. And in the end, it's the style that, you know, the audience, you know, the audience likes uh, are going to determine a lot of the style as well, because, if you're a wrestler and you're going in the ring and you're doing something and the people aren't reacting, you're probably going to throw that out of your repertoire. If the people are going crazy, you're probably going to do it the next 10 nights you wrestle. Yeah. 
Well, it's uh, it's amazing to see, and and I love seeing the you know the great matches, but also like you said, you got to tell a story too. Um, well, that's the main that's 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 the main thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how much is MMA part of your life too? I know that uh, that's something else that you've uh, also done a lot of covering uh, these different organizations. How much does yeah, that take? Yeah, I, what start, you're I started that from I started that from day one in '93, yeah. and I'm actually the longest American MMA reporter because I started long before any of these guys. Hmm. But because of wrestling, MMA is very you know. A couple of years back, I, I kind of treated them as as equal, especially when MMA was really, really hot. And also it was hot with the wrestling audience when Lesnar was there and things like that. Yeah. Now it's, um, I mean, it, it, wrestling is definitely number one priority. But I, I watch every UFC. I still write for MMA fighting. I still cover the business of MMA probably as close as anybody. So, um, yeah, I mean, MMA is definitely a, a big part of my life. Yes. All right, so how can folks, if they want to uh, get up on the latest of what's happening in the world of the professional wrestling, uh, how can they do that today? <laughs> Just go to www.wrestlingobserver.com, and um, we do we have a service. We have podcasts, uh, uh, tons of podcasts. Um, you know, it's it's a subscription model, and we get uh, we have two newsletters that come out. Actually, three newsletters that come out a week. We have a Monday newsletter, which is actually a history newsletter from. 17, 18 years ago, you can see exactly what happened then and, and how it went down. Uh, and then there's a uh, figure four weekly, which we still do. And then the observer, which comes out every Wednesday, late, late, late Wednesday night. So basically for most people, Thursday morning. Um, and it covers everything that's gone on in the week. We mix history with current stuff. We've got match reviews. We've got news. We've got business. Um, and there's never, you know, I'm always editing it down. I'm not, I'm never editing it up. There's always too much in a week. I'll tell you that, but you know, that's the nature of the beast right now. Still doing a hundred hour weeks. I bet. <laughs> pretty, pretty <laughs> Never much. Stopped. Yeah. Well, Dave, yeah. thank you so much. I know you're busy. Thanks for taking the time out. And I'm glad that we got a chance to catch up. I, am I going to see you in Vegas at Starcast? You going to go to this one? I'm going to be at Starcast. Yeah. It was great mm-hmm. seeing you at, I saw you at Wally Mania. Yeah. Uh, we were just, me and my friend were just talking about, uh, we saw you a year ago at Wally Mania and Wally Mania is coming up again this year. So yeah. that's where, yeah, it was really cool. Well, uh, and I will see you in Vegas, too. So, awesome. Cool. Great. Right. It was really great talking to you. All right, Dave. See you soon. Take care, my friend. Okay. You take care, too.